right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Breaking Points with Crystal and Sagar. We're going to be totally upfront with you. We took a big risk going independent. To make this work, we need your support to beat the corporate media. CNN, Fox, MSNBC, they are ripping this country apart. They are making millions of dollars doing it. To help support our mission of making all of us hate each other less, hate the corrupt ruling class more, support the show. Become a Breaking Points premium member today where you get to watch and listen to the entire show ad-free and uncut an hour early before everyone else. You get to hear our reactions to each other's monologues. You get to participate in weekly Ask Me Anythings. And you don't need to hear our annoying voices pitching you like I am right now. So what are you waiting for? Go to breakingpoints.com, become a premium member today, which is available in the show notes. Enjoy the show, guys. Time for one of our great segments of the week, our partnership with The Daily Poster. David Sirota, the founder and editor of The Daily Poster, he joins us now. David, it's good to see you, man. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. So, David, you got a new piece um, that we wanted to highlight here. Let's put it up there on the screen, um, which is that the democracy crisis that is never discussed. What, are you, what is the argument you're trying to make here, David? Look, we hear a lot about January 6th. We hear a lot in the media about uh, the Republican effort to restrict voting rights in some of the states in the country. What we don't hear a lot about in the discourse, in the conversation, is the other crisis that's humming underneath uh, the uh, American politics, the other democracy crisis, which is what people want versus what the government is actually doing. And I think the reconciliation bill debate is almost a perfect example of that. If you take a look at what the Democrats in Congress have been cutting out of their reconciliation bill, it almost perfectly matches up with exactly what the public is telling pollsters it most wants out of that bill. Uh, the best example of that is the the most popular potential initiative in the reconciliation bill is the proposal to allow Medicare to finally be able to negotiate lower drug prices across the board. 
that provision is the provision that has been uh, held up from being added into the bill. Uh, it has been watered down. It was threatened to be taken out uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks. It was ultimately uh, hollowed out. I mean, the provision that they're now talking about putting in there is the most absolute minimal version of that provision, and it barely got in. And if you go through all of the other things that have been taken out of this bill from the beginning, uh, what you see is it matches up almost almost perfectly with exactly what the public says it wants. Paid leave, uh, an expansion of Medicare. Uh, look at taxes. Most of the serious proposals, not all, but most of the serious proposals uh, to uh, tax billionaires and the super rich uh, have been watered down or taken out of this bill. Even Joe Biden's pollsters have said that this is the single most popular a set of provisions taxing the wealthy uh, out of all the 30 economic proposals that they tested. So right. again, what we're seeing here is the reconciliation bill debate is an almost perfect example of how Congress is doing exactly the opposite of what the public says it wants. And David, one of the things that you said last time, I think which really resonated with people was about Trump and about where exactly people's misfaith in government comes from. Well, give us this, you know, your take on this in the context of what happened in Virginia. Sure. I mean, I think, look, Virginia didn't give voters all that much of a real choice. I mean, you had on one side, you had the DNC's corporate money man, Terry McAuliffe. On the other side, you had the Republican former CEO of the Carlyle Group. I mean, this is the uh, this is the classic, uh, you know, worst of all worlds kind of choice. And at the same time, you had the Democrats uh, not delivering, uh, at least not yet, its reconciliation bill, uh, direct help to people. You've had headline after headline after headline for months about the Democrats in Congress and Joe Biden essentially abandoning their most popular proposals. So then everyone wakes up and says, I, I, how, did the, uh, how did Virginia go to the Republicans? And, and the answer should be obvious. Uh, when the Democrats do not use their power to deliver real help to people, guess what? Uh, people are willing to vote uh, for the other party. What we see at election after election after election is that voters keep voting for change, any kind of change. Uh, and when they don't get change, they keep voting again for change. So that's why I think you see uh, these elections swing back and forth. It's not necessarily a Republican vote or a Democratic vote. It is a change vote from a population that wants change and is not getting it. Mm -hmm. And then finally, David, you know, we've seen different developments here around the SALT tax. Bernie Sanders said that he was going to vote against it. Um, there's been some movement on that whatsoever. How do you expect that one to shake out, the fact that they're willing to go so to the bat for that? But as you said, all of the provisions are being taken out that people generally support. I mean, it's such a good example. I mean, the SALT, the state and local tax debate. Uh, where a full repeal, let's be clear, a full repeal is probably the single most regressive tax policy that you can you can pass. Uh, most of the benefits of a full repeal of that cap on how much people can write off of their state and local taxes, a, a full repeal of that is a most of the benefits go to the richest one percent. And you've seen the Democrats from affluent uh, blue state districts uh, demanding that that be put. Uh, into the bill, demanding that while, for instance, a full Medicare expansion uh, apparently is, quote, too expensive, right? They're talking about spending 400, 500, 600 billion dollars on a repeal of this, of this, of this, of these caps. Again, a huge gift to the wealthy. The way I see it working out is, look, you've seen Bob Menendez uh, just yesterday, the New Jersey senator, uh, not some great progressive, 
Uh, even he came out and said, essentially, look, a full repeal is ridiculous. It would just simply enrich the uh, millionaires. And he's from New Jersey, uh, where a lot of those districts, uh, those members of Congress are pushing this. So I think what you're going to end up seeing is uh, a raise of the cap. Uh, 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 certain levels of income mo moving up so that people mm -hmm. under that income threshold can take advantage of it. But a cap on, I think it's, you know, it might be 400,000, 500,000, which I think is, is probably still too high, but at least not allowing, you know, hundred millionaires and billionaires to be able to write off their entire, you know, mansions right. and estates in this. I think that's where this is headed. Well, we'll see how it all shakes out, David. Really appreciate your reporting. Um, of course, we're in partnership with you, and we've given our link to our premium subscribers there for a discount to your yearly subscription. Very proud of that, and we really appreciate you joining us, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Absolutely. And we will see you all later. Some really interesting news that we have been following from the very beginning. Senator Richard Burr, you guys might recall, he's the Republican senator from North Carolina. Well, it was exposed in 2020 that in February of 2020, right before COVID was about to hit, that Senator Burr made quite a bit of a you know tidy little stock profit selling right before the large market sell-off. It was revealed that he had what was privy to non-public information classified briefings at the time in terms of coronavirus that was about to hit the United States and obviously cause a big stock market crash, which it did in March of 2020. Well, there's been some even more investigation here. Let's put this up there on the screen. The SEC says that Senator Richard Burr had material non-public information with regards to the COVID economic impact. But here's the crazy part. After Burr dumped his stock, he called his brother-in-law. His brother-in-law then called his stockbroker the very next minute. So what does that tell us, Crystal? That's ProPublica report reveals that from the SEC that the senator had material non-public information about the coming pandemic, and then his brother-in-law dumped the stock right before the big crash in March of 2020. And the amazing part here, again, is that him and his brother-in-law only spoke for 50 seconds. And after that 50-second call, Whatever happened the very next minute, the man is calling his stockbroker and getting him to go ahead and sell his stocks mm. to also get a very tidy Imagine profit. that. So look, doesn't take a genius to figure out what was going on here. And it's just really what is depressing is why does it take like two years in order to figure this out? This has been almost two years that this information has been available and slow. Like everybody knew what happened the moment that it was even reported in terms of the stock trades. And now the more material that comes out, the shadier it looks. Recall that Senator Burr actually had his, I think his phone seized by the FBI and all of that. But, you know, no movement there in terms of the Department of Justice. So right. it just goes to show about how much of a crapshoot it is to actually try and hold these people to account, despite the fact that Everybody looking at this knows exactly what happened. It's blatantly yeah. right. obvious. He denies wrongdoing, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Right. Um, the SEC also revealed they have an ongoing insider trading investigation going on into both Burr and the brother-in-law. So what again, just to go right. through the timeline, okay, he receives material non-public information. He dumps $1.6 million worth of stock. Then he calls the brother-in-law, talks for 50 seconds, and then the brother-in-law immediately calls his broker yes. and also dumps a bunch of his stock. And then lo and behold, shortly thereafter, weeks later, Boom. market Crash. crashes. They both, of course, escape unscathed. The part that made the, the Burr aspect even worse is that while privately, he clearly knew 
that the shit was about to hit the fan. Mm -hmm. Publicly, he was saying to his constituents and to the American people, we've got this handled. This is no big deal. We're going to be fine. All of these things. So privately, he's telling at least one of his loved ones what's really going on and what market moves he needs to make to make sure that he escapes unscathed and wildly misleading his own constituents. Disgusting behavior. And of course, this fits into a broader picture that we've been talking about a lot here of the endemic corruption at the Fed, in the judiciary, and certainly throughout Congress. The fact that members of Congress can hold and trade stocks while they are actively engaged in receiving these briefings and crafting legislation that has a direct impact on the market is totally freaking insane. It is insane. Even do making this trade, forget about the insider trading and having the knowledge and all, just having these stocks and making the trade, that should be totally illegal. I mean, in any sane world, that in and of itself would be completely illegal. So this just exposes one more time. We talked about recently how there's people on TikTok who are just trading stocks yes, based on what on members Congress. of Congress are doing. Amazing. Because of things like this. Yeah, how dark no is faith that? In the system. How dark is that? That they just assume, because they're not stupid, that Nancy Pelosi and Richard Burr and all the rest of them are the moves that they're making with their stock portfolio, that they may have some little bit of insight into what's actually going on is why they're making those moves. Yeah, and that's what it is. Look, we have covered so many of these. Federal Reserve has now banned stocks. Congress needs to ban stocks tomorrow in terms of active trading for all these people and their family members. That's actually something that Dave Portnoy was one of those people who raised that I would love for this to gain some real juice in the actual electorate because people know the system is rigged. They know it's corrupt. But here it is, call by call, millions of dollars made, while you and your family, try and think back to that time. How many people lost so much value in their 401k or whatever? Try and think back to the terror. I mean, would have been really nice, right? In order to make sure that you would have had that type of information and that type of security whenever your business closed or whenever you lost your job. That's what Senator Burr had, and that's not right. And how many more Senator Burrs are there? How many Paul Pelosi's, Nancy Pelosi's, Mark Warner's, all these other people have made use of their office in order to personally enrich themselves while supposedly benefiting you? It's outrageous. Disgraceful. Utterly disgraceful. So there you go. State of the corruption today. (laughs) Enjoy the day, guys. We'll have more for you later. Fascinating moment from an obscure interview that Donald Trump recently did on a conservative radio show where he says quite a few inflammatory things about Israel. Let's take a listen. Well, you know, the biggest change I've seen in Congress is Israel literally owned Congress. You understand that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And it was so powerful. It was so powerful. And today it's almost the opposite. Uh, You have between AOC and Omar and these people that hate Israel. They hate it with a passion. They're controlling Congress, and Israel is not a force in Congress anymore. I mean, it's just amazing. I've never seen such a change. And we're not talking about over a very long period of time. But I think you know exactly what what I'm saying. They had such power. Israel had such power, and rightfully, over Congress. And now it doesn't. It's Mm -hmm. incredible, actually. That is uh, something else, Crystal. I saw somebody who was like, what dimension of chess is yeah, this? Yeah, this is like 9B chess. It's fascinating. He goes, Israel literally owns Congress. He goes, but right, so he's like defending it. And he's like, and now it's bad 
that they don't. That they don't literally own So he's like acknowledging Congress. a truth, which is, you know, bit, well, acknowledging something which has been very politically controversial yes. to say. And then saying that actually that was bad and saying that AOC and all of them are bad for not, not being owned by, by Israel. This, uh, uh, that seems I, like kind of a good thing to not be owned by. Well, it's just fascinating. A foreign to country. Me. This is the always the thing about Trump. He's always just willing to just go and, for example, I remember this on the Supreme Court thing. They would the right would hide for a long time on abortion and more behind like textual whatever. You know, all these like oh, you know, read the Constitution. Really, all the voters cared about is they're like we want pro life judges. Yeah, but nobody's ever said that before. That was the stunning thing about Trump. He was the first candidate to just be like, I'm only going to do pro-life, pro-life judges. And p- the evangelicals were like, finally. Like, he just said it. There's yeah. no more, you know, it, all of this. And that's why people responded to him. And, you know, it's like whatever he does, the, whatever he does stuff like this, I mean, obviously what, you know, all of the organizations that came out and said that saying this from a left-wing perspective is ridiculous, you know, and that, you know, that's none of that is even true or it's anti-Semitic. Well, I mean— That they're, not, they're just going to ignore this. But, and right. it, it's just totally yeah. floated under the radar. It really is totally crazy whenever he, with this interview. Um, you'll recall Ilhan Omar tweeted something about, like, it's all about the Benjamins when it comes to the influence of um, pro-Israel voices in Congress. And she was widely, roundly mm. condemned as an- this is anti-Semitic and you can't possibly say that. And I understand that this taps into some deep tropes and stereotypes about the Jewish people. And so I do think you should be careful about using yes. that sort of language. At the same time, you have to acknowledge the truth that, you know, money is how this town operates. That's it's right. not just about Israel. It's about uh, pharma and it's about oil. And if you want to understand how that works, just look at the dog pile that this reconciliation bill has become because of those moneyed interests. And those who have a particular agenda with regards to Israel, that agenda largely being like total unequivocal support in all instances and massive military aid to Israel, they also um, donate quite significantly. And that is part of why they have had so much sway over both parties for years and years and years and why the fact that there are even a few dissenters, and it is still just a few dissenters from that orthodoxy is so stunning to people, and that's what Trump is commenting on. So number one, he confirms the trope and goes way farther yeah. than Ilhan it, Omar. It is actually very anti-Semitic to say that. Ever it's went, true. Right. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. to say their own, that they own the Congress. Mm-hmm. Okay, so first of all, you say that, and then you're lamenting the fact that they don't fully 100% own the Congress anymore. And again, this is the dude who ran on, like, America first— Who's now like, I liked it when Israel owned Congress and how dare AOC and Ilhan and whoever else not be fully owned by a foreign country. There's just a a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Um, It reveals some of the inherent contradictions in Trumpian America first within his own White House and their own foreign policy, which, you know, continues to play out to this day. It really is just amazing to me that he's willing to go so much farther than even the most hardcore Israeli critics, but from the right, and therefore everybody just completely shuts up about it, and you're not going to hear about it anywhere else. But yeah, no we one took notice knew what to do with it, but we, we took notice here on the show. We decided to dance on that yeah. third trail, because yeah, what listen, the hell. <laughs> I mean, also, I mean, he's the former president. When you say something like this, I'm like, whoa. Whoa. 
Yeah. Okay. So there Pretty you go. remarkable. All right. All right, guys. We'll have more for you later. Got some new polling out from um, More Perfect Union. They've been doing a fantastic job covering a lot of the labor action that's been happening across the country. And so they put a poll into the field asking people how they feel about labor unions, whether they would support unions at their own place of work, and whether or not the current strike wave is, quote, long overdue. They found majority support for each one of those things. So 58% of Americans say they view labor unions favorably. 54% say they would support a union at their own place of work, which I think is really significant because a lot of times, especially for white-collar workers, it's like, oh, that's a nice thing for, like, you know, if you're working at the dock or whatever. But I can't imagine having it in my own. For me, it's not for for me in my workplace. And then you've got um, 53% saying that the current strike wave is long overdue. One of the things that they point to here as well is that there are some class politics involved in the way that these numbers ultimately break down. Lower-income Americans um, more strongly supported each of those sentiments than higher-income Americans. So, for example, um, the strongest support for having a union at their workforce came among those who make less than $25,000 per year, a full 58% of those individuals said, yes, I would like to have a union at my workplace. Um, But the differences were not that vast. Among the wealthiest respondents, those who made more than 150K per year, uh, 52% said that they would support a union at their workplace as well. So you can see, though, here how um, politically, for Democrats, forget about, obviously, like the values of workers should have power in their workplace, and that's a good thing and helps to rebalance the scales, et cetera. But politically, they make the point, if Democrats actually care about trying to win back some of the voters that they've been losing over the years, leaning into their support for labor, leaning into support for unions and um, putting policies on the books that will make it easier for workers to unionize could be a path back to some relevance with some of the people that they've lost. Yeah, no, it's it's interesting And whenever you look at the polling in particular. And it, I think the problem that everybody runs away from this is that many of these people are just cross-partisan, you know? Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of union people voted for Trump. A lot of them either voted for Bernie or a lot of them also just sat at home and said, nobody really supports me. So actually supporting, you know, these type of labor actions requires you to go beyond traditional mold of politics, which makes it so that there's not a lot of benefit in the short term, like media coverage. You know, it's interesting. I saw somebody out on Twitter was like, hey, who's done the best coverage of labor strikes? And, you know, all the replies were like us. Um, and I'm not just bragging. <laughs> us and, the, and the guests that we have right, on the and show. The guests that we Jonah Furman, Kim Kelly. Yeah, but here's the reason why. There's not that many people covering it. Yeah. It's like maybe, f- what, five, six, really? I mean, sure, some of it goes viral on Twitter, but in terms of the coverage of Washington Post, or CNN, or, you know, I mean, an NBC Minimal. News, I mean, they do more segments on January 6th subpoenas than they ever do about the millions of people who are either switching their jobs, thinking about striking, supporting the strikes, massive strike across. We've had so many guests here of the people actually on strike. They're willing to talk talk to you. It's very easy. Not that hard. We're yeah. a small business here and we can secure interviews, but that's just not a road that they want to go down because 
Also, we were talking about this too, many audiences are not conditioned to care. As in, they, people know where the clicks are. It's always in the culture war. It's the easiest thing on earth, either side. But building up an audience and explaining to them why this stuff matters and getting people invested, that's the hardest thing in the world. And they just don't want to put in the time. One thing we've been really proud of that we've talked about privately here yeah. is that when we first, you know, from the beginning of Rising, we covered um, worker action because it was important. Teacher strikes. It was important to us. Teacher strikes, the coal miners yes, who were right. parked out on the train tracks, blocking the train. I mean, that was an incredible story. Strikes, we had an um, union presidents, we had workers. And in the beginning, those segments didn't get a lot of use. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People didn't click on those segments. And over time, we've seen, we've stuck with it because we think it's so central and so critical. And um, people have started to care more and more. Or it's possible that just people who already cared about that right, started to find to our stuff so it's more and right. more. But the point is that, you know, a lot of times I think content creators just take like whatever happens to click as the end all be all mm-hmm. and not think about their responsibility to, you know, to bring people along, to present them with, like, here's something that actually you might not off the top be interested in, but if you dig into this, this is actually really significant, and maybe over time, you start to build either a different audience or you start to bring your own audience along with um, some of the things that are happening. So we're really proud that our audience has a lot of interest in these issues um, because we think they're so vital and so incredibly important. On the politics of all of this— you know, Trump was terrible on labor. His NLRB, National Labor Relations Board's pick, were all basically union-busting lawyers. They took aggressive action. I mean, they they were terrible. They were mm-hmm. on the side of the boss, like, routinely, um, in spite of what he verbally said. Biden has promised to be the most pro-union president in history. Most pro-union president in history. And yet— when it comes to the fact that we had striketober and tens of thousands of workers walking out, authorizing strikes, you know, threatening threatening to walk out, um, they still hung on to this legalistic, like, oh, well, we can't really, yes. we can't really say anything about right. this. We can't really get involved here, which is nonsense. And look, the fact that it would be controversial, frankly, is a good thing because that would generate coverage, it would generate buzz, it would demonstrate who's on which side really. And one of the things that's most vital in politics is exposing the correct divisions. And so if Biden intervened on the ha- on the side of workers, when the workers are dramatically popular with the public right now and dramatically in the right, it would expose a division in a way that would, I think, be beneficial to the country, but also would be, you know, politically beneficial to the Democratic Party. But and they're not going to do that, yeah. apparently. And all the talk of the PRO Act and whatever seems to have fallen by the wayside. So there we are. So be it. All right. It's up to you guys. That's all, that's all I can say. It's up to all of you out there who are taking these actions. Um, we appreciate you guys. Have a good one. We'll have more for you later. See you later. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, 
Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Become a part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry with an education from Trinity School of Natural Health. Trinity graduates can empower their communities through natural health principles and techniques, whether they go into practice to guide others toward their wellness goals or open a store to sell their favorite health products. Trinity grads are equipped to change lives. With 19 online programs and flexibility to fit your busy schedule, including the popular Certified Natural Health Professional, you can get the training that helps you turn your passion into a career and here's the best part. You can earn the certification in less than a year. From herbology to naturopathy and health coaching, Trinity allows you to make a meaningful difference by helping others live healthier, happier lives. Don't wait any longer to pursue your passion for natural health. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.